My grandson asked me this week, he's asked me before, I don't know what brought it up, but he asked me again this week, he says, okay, what is a, and he's very, he's young, he goes, what does amen mean again? Because he hears that used in our, in our home and different places and praying. And I, I told him, I said, it just means you agree. You agree with Papa. So when you say amen, you, you agree with Papa. Now you're all laughing because, you, you know, it's, it's, we agree with God, right? That's we use that word amen. And, you know, it's good that they agree with Papa too. But when we say amen, I, we say that word, I think often we hear it in our, in our journey uh, with, with God. Maybe you're not uh, familiar with church. Maybe you're new this morning. Maybe you're just visiting, so that's not a part of your, your story. But you hear the word amen, and I think we just kind of pass by it without stopping for a second and saying, hold on, why do you always say this word? If I say amen, someone says amen up here, and you say amen from your seat, you're saying, I agree. I agree. I'm on board. Are we tracking together? Okay. All right, good. Just seeing if you're awake. All right, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Get to Nehemiah chapter 8. It's where we're at this morning. Who likes my shirt? All right. Wait a minute. Who doesn't like my shirt? I think uh, James chapter 3, you need to go to the back row, Wayne, if we're going to know. How do you know somebody's a fan? How do you know somebody's a fan? Now, the word fan, it has a lot of different connotations. There's even a book written, not a fan, a follower, because sometimes a fan uh, is, it can be negative in a couple of ways, right? It can be negative in that you're a fair weather fan, right? You just join the team. When the Kings were in the playoffs, whenever that was, against the Lakers, remember the entire Sacramento region was wearing purple and all of a sudden everybody was, was Kings fans. You're a fan when the team is winning and when it's popular. The word fan itself is short for fanatic and it means an excessive amount of zeal or passion. And we, we all know about political zealots, religious zealots or fanatics and people that we say go over the top. But let, I want to rescue the word fanatic back a little bit because I think what's happened in our, in our Western thinking in the age of science is that faith and fanatic have kind of blended together. So someone who actually believes that God exists and that God is personal, that he has made himself known. And this, this symbol we have that God actually came and was born as a baby, took on human form, walked among us. The creator walked among us. Is, is it already sounding kind of fanatical? And he, he lived on this earth, and then he was, he was crucified. He allowed himself to be crucified, and he was buried, put in that tomb. And three days later, the tomb was empty, and he was seen alive. And then he ascended back to the... The further I go with the gospel in this day in 2022, maybe particularly in California, in our, in our culture, I start to sound like a fanatic. If you're old enough, DC Talk called it Jesus Freak, right? And he goes, I'm a Jesus Freak. We've, we've taken faith in what we can't see or touch, and we've made it fanatical. So I want to capture the word fan a little bit. The other negative part of fan is that you just go and sit in the, sta- in the stands like you're doing this morning. You're all just fans. You're here. You're not participating. You are. But you know what I mean? That's possible, right? We come to church. We sit. How many, and I'm not going to ask that question. And don't, don't respond. How many sit in the same place every week? We won't go there. But we just, we kind of go through the motions sometimes. And 
being a Christian, being a churchgoer, is that I come and I sit and I never get involved. And so that's a negative connotation of fan. But maybe we can rescue it a little bit. The idea that being a fan or being fanatic about Jesus is that I actually believe in him and I trust in him and I live my life built on who he is and what he has said because I believe he is God. I believe he is my creator. I believe he is my savior. I believe he is my, the firstborn brother of a family that I've been adopted into and I believe that I will spend all of eternity, my soul will spend all eternity with him, worshiping him and serving him. I actually believe that. Now if that's true, it's gonna be seen in my life and you're going to be able to very clearly see that I am a fan of Jesus. You with me? There's things you look for, right? We, we look for certain behavior, we certain, look for certain indicators. Just like if you were trying to determine if I was actually a fan of the Giants, you would look for things, right? Now, I wear a jersey and you're like, oh, that's easy to do. But hold on, I got some crazy shoes here that my wife hates because, and I'm, if you work for Caltrans, this is not a negative, but it looks like I work for Caltrans because I got these. But you, you would look for things in my life. You would listen to my words. You would listen to see if I talked about the Giants, not just when they're winning, but when they're losing. You might also look and listen for, you might look what's on the back of the jersey as well, right? Maybe I have a favorite player. Do I, am I still grieving that Buster Posey retired? The answer is yes, I am. So, yeah, I know. That's, that's no rip on our current catchers, although it is a little bit. You know, you would look for things, right? And the more that you saw, the more that you might think that he's a fanatic. Like when I took off my wedding ring and I put on the 1954 championship ring, eh? you know? If I'm walking around like this, and I got more at home, you would go, man, he must be a fan of the Giants. In fact, I think he's a little fanatical about the Giants. It's interesting when you go to the, a game, in this case you go to, can I take this off? This is so heavy. I'm afraid I'm gonna hurt myself. When you go to a, 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 a Giants game, you go to Oracle Park, you're thrust into 20, 30,000 people in this place. And like you're all, it's like your family. It's the weirdest thing. You're all talking about the same things. You're all cheering for the same things. You're all eating the same food. You're all eating garlic fries. You're all wearing the same colors. Orange and black and white is everywhere. And you have this shared experience. Do you know that the, the Giants have, a, they have a, um, an auditorium they have a place of worship, do you know that? It's called Oracle Park, and it has a feel, it has a smell, it has sights and, and sounds, and there's this common experience. And in the midst of that, this always happens, I, I had families staying with us, my nephew and his niece and kids, and unfortunately he's a Dodgers fan, he's from Southern California. He came, we took him, to, we went to a game together when they were here, and he's wearing this blue, weird blue hat, you know? And, and it, was, it was a little uncomfortable, but you know what, everybody just, you know what, this is family, this is the, the, the house of the giants, and so just come on in. And he was expected to eat the garlic fries, he was expected to not cheer too loudly when the Dodgers, you know, or the other team did something good. 
You have this shared experience. You have shared, you have shared appearances, food, clothing, things like that. You have shared memories. I could tell you memories this morning. I can tell you the, the time Barry Bonds hit a home run and I'm holding my, my youngest daughter, Lindsay, and my, our daughter, Ashley, was next to me and she had folded down the, it was a candlestick, she'd folded down the chair and she's eating pretzels, biting them, spelling her name in pretzels. And as she finishes it, she says, Daddy, look! And as I look, I hear whack! And we're in right field and here comes Barry Bonds' home run right into our thing. And I'm holding my daughter and if I move suddenly I'm going to ruin my, my other daughter's masterpiece and so as a good father what did I do? No. I'm not feeling any love this morning. I watched the ball. I held my daughter. I protected the pretzels and I watched the ball go right here to some guy who didn't even catch it and made it lame. I can tell you the time when Tyler, my son, and I were at a playoff game and we're standing and we're sitting in the, in the bleachers and, and Chris Bryant, we had Chris Bryant for one year and he comes up and Tyler says rather loudly, he says, he's going to hit a home run. The next pitch, whack, and the home run is coming right to us. And the place goes crazy and everybody around us goes, you called it, you, and we're just dancing and jumping. I could give you a lot of those shared memories. You see, fans have shared memories. They have shared culture. They, they might even have a shared house of worship. How do you know if someone is a fan of Jesus? In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we, we move into this really, I, I, for me, it's my, maybe my favorite moment. It's a, certainly the, feels like the heartbeat of this book and what God is doing. That The wall is built. Last week, Pastor Matt was going through how the, the wall is built, the the gates are in place. Leadership is put into place, right? People are put in, the, the governors set up security, and everything's, now what? Isn't that what he came back to do? He came back to God. You remember Zerubbabel had come many years before, the governor of Judea, and God used him to rebuild the temple. Things weren't going well in the worship, and so he sends Ezra, and Ezra comes, and he brings Zerubbabel brought about 50,000 people. Ezra brings another 2,000 or so. And he begins to do reforms and gets people back worshiping God the way that they should. And then in Nehemiah chapter 1, years go by, Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he goes, hey, how's it going? And the people say, it's, it's a mess. The people of God are in disgrace and there's just trouble. And God lays it on Nehemiah's heart to go back and rebuild the wall. It's all been done. Is that what makes the people of God the people of God? A temple that's physically rebuilt, rules and regulations that govern daily life, and a wall and gates around the city? Is that what makes the people of God the people of God? In Nehemiah chapter 8, the end of, the end of 7, the beginning of 8, we're told the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns. All this had taken place. And all the people gathered together. They showed up at Oracle Park. They come together at the square in front of the water gate. And notice what they do. They ask. They ask Ezra the scribe, the priest and scribe Ezra. He's an expert in the Torah. They ask him to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding, all the kids, the teenagers. And while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read 
out of God's law. He read from God's word. And he had 35 minutes to do it. Or 20 minutes and 37 seconds. Don, take note. He was facing the square in front of the water gate and he read out of it from daybreak until noon. I don't want to hear any more complaining when we do an Easter sunrise service next week, Nate, and we're going to do it at the break of dawn and we're going to be here. No, I'm just, just kidding. But, note, but don't miss what is happening. The people come together and they said, would you please bring out the word of God, the law that God gave to Moses, what it is that, that indicates who we are and how we should live. Bring it out. Who reveals who God is. And he brings it out and he just begins to read from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform Made for this purpose. You want me to read these names? Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah stood beside him on his right. And to his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchilia, Hashem. Parents take note if you've got babies coming. Hash, Badana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. They were on his other side. And they stood there with him, and Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people. And since it was elevated, everybody could see. And as he opened it, as he opened up the law, the scroll, he unrolled it, the people stood up. And in response to that, Ezra prayed, praised the Lord. He saw the response of the people. He'd heard the request. He sets it up. He gets up there to read it. And when he opens, he walks up to the podium and he opens up the scroll. The people stand up and he praises the Lord, the great God. And with their hands uplifted, all the people said, I agree. I agree. Amen. Yes. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And all these Levites that are listed there, all the Levites, they, they went out into the crowd. You see the names there? Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yaman, Akab, Shephathai, Hodiah, man, Messiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah. They're Levites, they serve in the worship of God, and they spread out through the crowd and they explained what was written, what was read to the people as they stood in their places. This is the first example of small groups, by the way, e-groups. It'll, it'll sink in by lunch. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. What? identifies someone as a true fan, a follower of God. What identifies the people of God from everyone else? It's that we submit to the word of God. We honor the word of God. We submit to it. We acknowledge that this is not the word of Kurt. When I talk about the giants, that's the word of Kurt. When I read from this, when any time it's read in, in a small group up here in our, in our youth gatherings on Sunday nights with our kids on Wednesday nights, this, the, the summer program, and this is opened and it's read and it's explained so that people can understand it, this is God's word. 
any authority that you feel in the moments like this on a Sunday morning and you come and you hear the word of God taught and afterwards you say, wow, that, God spoke to me. Any authority that is in this moment is rested, vested in this right here, not me. And the Holy Spirit taking this and speaking to you. You can tune out my voice, but brothers and sisters, do not tune out the voice of God. What identifies someone as a fan of Jesus is they take the word of God seriously. They want to know it. They want to read it. They want to understand it so that ultimately they would live by it and obey it. Isn't that the heart of Jesus in his ministry? If you love me, you'll keep my... There's been seasons in my life where the word obedience is really a bad word. Ah, in school, in Bible school, driving down the road, those, the authority of those little signs that say 35 or whatever they say on them. Ah. There's even authority in, there's times in my life where I should obey my wife. Would you agree? Whoa, that was a high-pitched answer. That was all ladies' voices. Yes, it was. No. Right? There's, there's different seasons where obedience, surrender, submit. That yellow sign on the freeway when you're coming on and all the people are gunning it and you're coming on, there's a little yellow sign that says what? See, you guys don't even, you don't, you've never even read that sign. No, it doesn't say merge. It says yield. Ah, some honest people. It says yield. It says let them go first. Kind of, why can't we figure out the concept of every other car? I don't know what's wrong with our brains. You know what I'm talking about? It's a moment of submission, a moment of obedience. You say it's, just, it's yellow, it's suggested. We struggle with obedience. And the fan of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, the people of God, it's going to be very clear when we interact with them, and them with us, I should say, that we submit to the word of God. There is a love for the word of God. There is a submission to its truth. Whether I like it or understand it, there's a submission to it. And it's on every level, every level of leadership, every level of every aspect of our lives as God's people. Can I suggest to you that God's word in this moment and maybe even on moments like this, God's word is the main event. It really is the main event. You know what I mean? But I know I'm dating myself. Okay, how about concerts? You know, concerts, there's always an opening act or two, and then there's the top bill. What's the word? The headliner. Thank the headliner. Yeah. God's word is the headliner. Those other bands might be great, you know, we kind of, oh, I like them, but you came for the cranberries. I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. You, you with me? God's word is the main event, and they honored his word as the main event. They focused their attention. They sincerely came to that meeting. They gathered, they asked for the word of God. Our hearts in coming together in a moment like this, or when we're showing up young people on, on Sunday night, there's other great things about that, but in that moment, or when our kids are dropped off, or when you just simply sit down in the morning and you open your Bible or you open your phone and you begin to read God's word, there should be a heart that says, this is the main event. I want to hear it. I want to understand it. God, would you speak to me? I want to build my life on this. I want to surrender to it. And God, you know I struggle with obedience, and you know I struggle. I'm stubborn, and you know that I struggle with pride, and that I think I know better sometimes than you do. Help me to honor your word. Help me to give it 
attention. They asked for it, and then they stood up and they listened. For hours they listened, and they affirmed it with an amen. Jesus, in his great commission to us in Matthew 28, you remember, go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. I hope it's not lost on us that this is the written word and that Jesus himself is the living word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. And then the word came to his own and his own. I ask you to consider, and only you can answer this question, what role does God's word have in your life? Now I know we all struggle with devotions, quiet time, but here's what, and and I get that, and, and there's grace there, right? But here's, here's where I'm really concerned. For those of us that have been followers, we've been fans for a long time, and if we're still struggling to have dedicated time with God, something's wrong. And you, you fill in the blank. We're too busy, we're too distracted, we're angry. I don't know, something's wrong. If I can't, I, I find time to eat every day. Take a look, evidence. Multiple times a day, I make sure that the, the sheets on our bed we, are, we clean them, and sometimes she even sprays some kind of stuff on it. And, and I make sure when my pillow's about, you know, I don't know, a couple of months old, because I drool, okay? I throw that pillow. I make sure that I go to Costco and get a new pillow, and I double pillowcase my pillows because I want to make sure when I lay down. That's really important to me. And yet I can't find time in the day to give God my undivided attention. I'm, I'm wearing the gear, but am I a fan? Am I a follower of Jesus? Is that a clear characteristic of my life that I submit on a daily basis to the word of God? Are you tracking with me at all? Okay. That's how we know someone's a fan. They submit to the word of God. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, verse 9, and the Levites who were instructing the people, they said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord. This is, this is incredible. You guys wanted the word of God. We've been reading it and teaching it, explaining it. Today is a holy day to God. This is, this is a moment we need to stop and take consideration of what's happening. This is significant. So stop crying. Stop weeping. Why would they say that? The text tells us. All the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. As God's word is being read and they're learning this is who God is and this is what he's done for us and this is how he took us out of slavery and, and then here's, the, here's how he wants us to worship him and here's how we're to be different from the cultures around us. Here's how we're to treat each other. Here's the, the rules for relationships. Here's the boundaries for relationships. You with me? And as that's being read and it's being explained and they're going, oh my we're the people of God. This is who we're to be. Conviction is happening. Their eyes of their heart are open and the people begin to weep. And he says to them, Nehemiah says, hold on. That, that, that's not what God's looking for. That's great. But what we need to do is we need to go and party. It's, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're skeptics. You need to go celebrate. You need to go and eat what is rich. No diets today. Eat what is rich, that has fat in it, that tastes good, and drink what is sweet. You didn't know God said drink soda pop, did you? Go eat and drink what is, eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those. Make sure everybody has something to eat. 
take from your, your bounty and give it to others. Share with one another because today is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. It's your strength. Conviction is good. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But if we just stay there, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a spiritual failure. I came to church and every day, I learn, every week, I learn more of how I'm just falling short and I hear again, I'm not having my devotions. I hear again all the things. And God, you convict me. If it's the Holy Spirit, listen to that. But expect God in his grace to say, wow, you're listening to me. You're reading my word. You're listening to me. This is an amazing day. And I want to celebrate this. So celebrate that my word has the place that it's supposed to have in your life. And I'm speaking to you and you're hearing me. And you want to make changes. You want to submit to what I want to do in you. God forgive us as his people in a, in a time where it is so broken. If I hear of one more shooting, it, I, I don't know what to do with that. One more loss of, of life of children, one more situation, and it's almost a daily, we hear about it, it's probably more than daily. We live in a time that is so broken, and God forgive us as his people, that that shapes us so that we're no longer celebrating the faithfulness of God. Because here's the, here's the key theme in what was read from God's word. You ready for it? You guys are stiff-necked, broken people, and I keep forgiving you, and I keep loving you, and I'm true to my covenant with you. That's what they took away from. There was a realization of how sinful and broken and messed up we are. In fact, we're, we're coming back from a long exile. Everything has to be rebuilt because it was all torn down. Excuse me. Hope I didn't hit you in the front row. Man, we are messed up people. And yet here we are, and we're reading God's word, and it tells us that God is a faithful God. He keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. And yes, we're stiff-necked, broken people, rebellious people, and he just keeps loving us. Should we not be celebrating that? Daily, individually, corporately? God forgive us when we've gotten so weighed down by the sin and the pain and the brokenness in our world and even in our own life. It's real. It's not, this is not denial. But God forgive us that we're not celebrating God's faithfulness. We will never be voices of hope. We will never be people of hope if we are not celebrating God's faithfulness even in the midst of dark times. Because here's what we're saying, church. We stop celebrating his faithfulness when life gets hard. We've just announced that we no longer believe God is good. You hearing me? I don't like it any more than you do. Because I can look back and I can, I can find all kinds of moments where I'm complaining and whining about life. I can find all kinds of moments where I'm lamenting the choices people are making around me that I love. I can find many moments, if you played a video of my last week, last month, last year, many moments where I'm lamenting what's happening in our world and what's happening in our state and what's happening in politics, what's happening in, in the Supreme Court, what's happening uh, in education, what's happening in, in the economy. Are you kidding me? Six and a half dollars for diesel or whatever? You know, I, I, can, I can play a video of my thoughts and my words and my actions, and you can see all kinds of moments where I'm just lamenting all that's going wrong in this world and in my life. And you're gonna have to watch a lot of video 
The fi- oh, stop there, stop there. Look, he's celebrating the goodness of God. Oh, wait, wait. Or, oh, three weeks later. Oh, there, hey, there, look, he's reading his Bible and he's, and he's praying and he's telling God, thank you for his goodness. There he is in church and, and he's singing. But on Monday morning, you know, he's listening to Journey. <laughs> Don't stop believing, you know. Which they play in the eighth inning. Anyways, just seeing if you're with me. God forgive us as if we are his fans, if we are his people, we need to be celebrating the faithfulness of God. Lamentations chapter three, many of you know these verses, verses 22 to 24. It's because of the Lord's faithful love we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the author says, I say, God is my portion. Therefore, I'll put my trust in him. Who wrote those words under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? The prophet Jeremiah, after his Jerusalem had been sacked and the temple had been torn down. And you say, well, that's not fair. Read the rest of Lamentations. I get it. I get it. That's what it's full of, right? God, how can this be? How can this happen? And right in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit prompts this prophet, Jeremiah, to say, it's only because God is faithful and he loves us that we don't perish. His mercies never run out. Every single morning, his faithfulness is right there on display. Then celebrate it. Celebrate it in your, your conversations with God. Celebrate it in your, your daily schedule. Celebrate it on Sunday morning. We're gonna have a moment in just a few moments to, to sing again. Celebrate it. When you're invited to come to the Lord's table, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a fan, you've given your life to him, come to the table and celebrate when you're in your car listening to music, celebrate. When you're having conversations with your spouse, celebrate the faithfulness of God. We're really good at complaining and whining, lamenting. That's what comes natural. What is supernatural, and this is what identifies someone as a fan of God, a follower of Jesus, is that we celebrate the faithfulness of God. They celebrated his restoration. The wall is built. They celebrated his revelation. Three. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 20. I believe I read through 24. God forgive us for taking this for granted. I'm, I, just a few weeks, I'll, I'll be in a refugee camp in, in northern Uganda. And those pastors, as well as the people, do not take this for granted. It's precious to them. And when they have the opportunity to sit down from their very difficult lives of just sustenance living and they have the time to sit down and they open the word of God, they stand up in their hearts and they praise God and they say amen, amen. And they open up the pages of his word and they read it and they celebrate it in the midst of very difficult, difficult circumstances. God forgive us. I'll tell you ahead of time, that's one of my things. I'll come back and you'll interact with me. That's one of the things that'll be on my heart and my mind, the work God does in me to celebrate his faithfulness in the midst of trouble. Nehemiah 8, verse 13. On the second day, family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, they come back together. They said, that was amazing. So they come back together. They assemble before Ezra the scribe. He's the expert in the law to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law. So they're studying the law. And they find in it how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booze. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of the Festival of Booths. Booths. You know what booths are? Sorry. I'm still in puberty for those who don't know me. Sorry. Booths. During the festival of the seventh month. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What did, what did the beginning of the chapter say? When is it? 
It's the seventh month. It was the first day of the seventh month. And so this is unfolding, and they're, and they're studying, and Ezra is teaching, and they go, wait, wait, go back, go back. What? In the seventh month, God had given this festival. He'd given several, but in the seventh month, on the 15th day, they are to live in booths. So they proclaimed. They read that, and they said, okay, let's do that. They proclaimed. They spread the news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out into the hill country, go out into the woods, and chop off branches, bring back branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, other leafy trees to make booths. Make, they're going camping. It's family camp. Just take a look at my trailer. It's the same thing, I'm sure. Let it sink in. Make a place for you to live in, a temporary place, just as it's written in God's law. And so the people go out and they bring back branches and they make booths for themselves. I can't, even, I can't even begin to unpack this for you, what it looks like. Everyone leaves their house, they shut down their businesses, and they go out into the forest and they cut all these branches and they come back and they start making these, these little huts, these little dwelling places all over the place. And where do they do it? They, they, they do it on their rooftops, they do it in the courtyards, they do it in the court of the house of God, the outer courtroom of the temple. And the square by the water gate, public spaces, the square by the gate of Ephraim, the whole community that had returned from exile made booths and they lived in them. For a week they live in them. This is family camp. They had not celebrated this festival like this since the days of Joshua, since they had come into the promised land and conquered the Canaanites. They hadn't celebrated with this passion and intensity, this, this corporate response since the days of Joshua until that day. And there was tremendous joy. As we're read out of the book of the law of God every day, from the first day to the last, the Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to what was written in the law, the ordinance. How do we know somebody's a fan? Can I suggest that it's not only a submission to God's word and that, that God's word is the foundation for my life and my obedience to it. And it's, it, it's more than, but it includes celebrations of God's faithfulness. And on, in the midst of a world that's just caught up in anger and division and fighting and complaining, there's God's people. You must be one of God's people. You keep, all you do is celebrate how good God is. And finally, you can identify a fan by someone who embraces their identity as a fan, they wear the colors. See, they, they step into the celebration. They step in, and let's, it, it sounds exciting to me, but let's be honest, it's a lot of work. Moms are all going, are you kidding me? You know, how am I going to cook meals? How am I going to, you know, oh, my goodness. And dad's going, my axe is so dull. What are, you know, and and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of challenges. And then what about everybody outside the people of God? What in the world? You just got the wall built, and you guys are getting settled in, your, in your, your homes, and now you're living out in these ramshackle little, why? Good question. I'm not going to read the verses. They, they should be up there, the, the address. A fan of God, a fan of Jesus, a follower of Jesus is going to embrace their identity by proclaiming God's provision. This is explained in Deuteronomy chapter 16. The purpose of the Feast of Booths God says it so that you remember, I'm the one that gave you what you have. I'm the one that takes care of you. We proclaim God's deliverance, and this is in Leviticus chapter 23, again the festival of booths. But in this text, God reminds them that he delivered them from slavery. Would you agree with me? You don't, just, you don't have to agree out loud. I'm going to ask you to agree in your hearts or think about it in your hearts. All God's people 
our former slaves. If you've forgotten that as a child of God, you need to do some, some wrestling with God this morning. We all are, formal, are former slaves. All of God's people, Israel, were former slaves. And God set them free. He delivered them. And Leviticus 23, he says, when you celebrate this festival, that's what I want you to remember. And then we proclaim God's sacrifice in this celebration. And that's in Numbers chapter 29. And again, I can't read this. I'd hope to read this. There's the, 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 the instructions for the seven days. And if you look at Romans uh, Numbers 29, and there might be some text up here or in your own Bible, it's just this long list of each, on this, the first day, do this. And, and he gives a list of all the animals that are to be offered as sacrifices to God. And then day two, same thing. On the third day, present this many bulls and rams and lambs. And, oh, make sure you have a goat as a sin offering. On the fourth day, present 10 and 2 and 14 and make sure you have a sin offering. And on the fifth day, present these many bulls and rams and lambs. And, oh, by the way, have a goat as a sin offering. On the sixth day, on the seventh day. And then on the eighth day, you're to hold a solemn assembly, a serious holy moment. And you're to come together. You're not to do any work on the eighth day. And you present a burnt offering, a fire offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A bull, a ram, seven male lambs a year old all unblemished oh and offer one male goat as a sin offering because these are in addition to all the other burnt offerings what in the world the celebration of living this won't happen at family camp while we're living in these these temporary houses every day is consumed with animals losing their lives and the blood being spilled out and they're being burnt on this hall what is God saying he's saying here's your identity you, you've been delivered, you've been provided for, but you've also been rescued. All of you have been rescued the same way through the sacrifice of the lamb. That lamb. It all points to this provision, this, this redemption that God is offering. And it comes through Jesus Christ as the sacrifice on the cross. If you're a fan of Jesus, Embrace your identity. You are to be, I am to be, a living proclamation of God's provision, his deliverance, and his sacrifice. That's what, my, that's what the colors should say. They should show. Are you with me? Are you? Okay, one more minute, and I'm done. You with me now? Now you're really with me. It's interesting in John chapter 7, in John chapter 7, Jesus goes to this festival and it says at the festival, on the last and most important day, the eighth day, all the sacrifices have taken place. All these animals, they, they, the whole city of Jerusalem had witnessed these seven days, living in booze and all the animals that had been sacrificed and all the blood that was spilled. And on the last most important day, the solemn festival, when they get together with those specific sacrifices, Jesus stands up and he cries out with a loud voice. Listen to what he says. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. What is he doing? He is embracing his identity. Is that not why the Son of Man came but to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many? In the festival of booze, he stands up and says, here's, here's my identity. And he, and he puts on a giant's jersey. <laughs> he makes it very clear the proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our team to come, our worship team to come, if you guys would come. I want to ask you a couple questions. I'm just going to ask them really quickly as they're coming, so listen fast. 
Do those watching my life, do those interacting with your life, do they know that you're a fan of Jesus? Are you wearing the colors? Let me ask it this way. Do they interact with someone who is living by faith? When the people in your life interact with you, is it clear to them that you are living by faith, that you are submitting your life to the word of God? Number two, do they see someone who is known by love? Do they, do they see someone that is celebrating the faithfulness of God's love in their life? Church, that's what we've lost sight of. We've, we've lost sight that God loves us and that he loves this broken, messed up world. And we're doing this. We're, we're, we're circling the wagons and we're coming in, you know, in, in various ways and we're just kind of, you know, keep all that stuff out there and let's just... That's not being a fan of Jesus. People aren't seeing the love of God. We become known by love when we love like we have been loved. We become known by love when we love others the way that we have been loved by God. And if you don't have a clear picture in your thinking and in your heart of how God loves you, start there. Start there. Grasp that again, how deeply you're loved by Jesus and what his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness is in your life. And from that place, then love other people. Do people see in me a man who is known by love? And finally, do they see someone who is a voice of hope? Do they see someone who is a voice of hope? Do they see someone embracing their identity as a follower of Jesus Christ? My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in who wins the election. I'll vote and I'll pray and then God's sovereign. Romans 13 is clear. But my hope is not in this world. It's not in God. My hope is not in this economy. I'm not going to become a person of celebration when gas finally gets down to three and a half bucks or whatever. My hope is not in my doctors. My hope is not in the healthcare system. My hope is not even in this body. My hope is in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a fan. That's why I want to wear the colors. When people interact with you and me, do they experience people that are filled with hope? That living water is, that's deep within us, that Jesus put there, is it flowing out of us? Are the people around us not thirsty for hope? Can you answer that question? Do you even know the people in your life well enough to know that they are longing for hope? They're longing to be satisfied by the living waters that Jesus promises to satisfy their soul as he satisfies, has satisfied our soul. Put on the colors. Be a fan of Jesus. Be a person who is a voice of hope. A person who is known by love. You're loving people. We're loving people the same way he's loved us. And let's live by faith. Let's build our lives on the truth of God's word and let's stand on it by faith. That makes you a fan. That makes you a fan. Can we worship together? In a few moments, we'll be invited to the Lord's table. Don't come yet. We'll talk a little bit about it. But we're gonna have people in the back at the prayer tables. We have giving boxes on the side. If, if you're old-fashioned and you do a check like I do, you guys, who knows what a check is? Anybody? Okay, 10 of us. If you brought a gift for God, you can put them in the boxes. And don't miss this moment right now as we're led in a time of worship. Let's be fans. Let's put on the colors. Let's, let's confess what we need to confess. And let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God.